The following program is a production of the Recording Library of West Texas and is also available at recordinglibrary.org. Thanks for joining us on Free Speech. Basically, this is just a sit-down with some of the leaders in our community. We're hoping to get a little peek as to who they are, not only politically, but personally as well. Republican or Democrat, liberal or conservative, everybody's welcome here. Because at the end of the day, no matter what your political affiliation, we're all nothing more than a few people just trying to sit down and figure out how to make the world a better place. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the show. And welcome back to another episode of Free Speech. My name is Bailey, and I'm filling in for Chris today. And the co-host is Abby. Hey, Abby. Hi. We have a very special guest in the studio today, Sheriff Lupe Valdez. How are you, ma'am? Fine, thank you. Good morning to you. Good morning. So you are running for governor of Texas. Correct. That is kind of a big deal. It is a big deal. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up? And uh, a little bit about your childhood. Well, I'm the eighth child of migrant workers. And actually, I grew up in the poorest zip code in San Antonio. But I was I was uh, fortunate enough to have someone direct me to one of the finer of, of the better school districts in that area. So I went every morning from the poorest zip code in San Antonio all the way across town to a, a more equitable uh, public education. Okay. And so because of that, because I've had a a good public education, then that opened doors for me. And I went to college, the military. I was a federal agent for over 20 years. And then I became the sheriff of Dallas County. So I'm a strong, strong advocate for public education. I think public education is an equalizer. And it gives us opportunities and makes a pathway, gives pathways for several folks to find um, a different life or a better quality of life or something they're interested in. And you can relate to those people because you, you were one. You, of course. you decided of course. to make a difference for yourself, to try to find more opportunities. Exactly. And a, and a lot of my statements um, point to the fact that I'm familiar with the everyday Texan. For instance, health care. You know, and Texas is... Um, the, the lowest rate of health care, and one in six people in Texas do not have health care. And uh, I'm fortunate enough to have later gone on to life and, and had jobs that provide health care. But I always remind folks that I didn't have health care for the longest time, and it was usually uh, when you get sick, do you go to the doctor or pay the rent? Mm-hmm. You know, and so uh, I'm comfortable in saying that I identify with a lot of the everyday Texan. Mm. Yeah. And um, I loved your, just what you said about education and how important that is to you and has been um, since you were a child. Um, I have a question. So what, like, how do you envision the education system in Texas in in the foreseeable future? You know, there was a time when the state paid 80% of the school costs. I don't think we're going to go anywhere near that for a while, but it's important that the state accept its responsibility of um, funding public education. One of the state's requirements is they provide 
public education doesn't say how, but the way they're doing it now is they're putting the burden on the local community, and therefore your taxes go up. The state is supposed to accept more of that responsibility. We should be able to uh, pay the teachers uh, the prof- as professionals that they are, and, and we should respect and pay them as the professionals that they are. So I would, I would fight for uh, public education to be a, a system of the state, not so much of the local community, and therefore uh, the state would continue to provide good public education. Okay, thank you. Um, And we have a lot of teachers who tune in and listen to this podcast. Is there anything that you want to tell them right now? Um, We know that they they work very hard and they are underpaid, um, and sometimes it can be discouraging or they get tired. It's a hard job. Um, Do you have any words of encouragement that you would like to offer them? First thing I want to say is I know it's an uphill battle for a lot of these teachers. They have to not only um, not get paid as professionals that they are, they often have to supply a lot of this, the environment of the, of, of the room so they can provide better education. So it comes out of their pocket, and I know that's an uphill battle. I continue to say my candidacy is all about out, uphill battles. But let's go back to uh, the teacher. There's been at least two real significant times in my life when a teacher took part. The first one was I grew up in the, in the poorest area of San Antonio, and you went to the local schools. A substitute teacher, no less, pulled me aside and said, you're college material, mm-hmm. but if you're going to do well, you're going to have to move, not go to these high schools and go to the high school across town. Mm-hmm. I continually, I'm continually blessed and thank that teacher yeah. for pointing me to where I was challenged. I remember going to that high school, and in this area I was making A's and B's, and I went to that other school, and I was extremely challenged. Mm-hmm. I'll admit it, sometimes I felt totally out of place. Right. But as an adult, I'm very aware that any time you do a strong growth, you're out of your comfort zone. Right. So you're going to go totally out of your comfort zone and feel real uncomfortable for a while. Mm-hmm. But the important thing, coming back to your question, is the teacher took enough interest. Mm-hmm. Not even a regular teacher. He was a substitute teacher. Right. And they took enough interest. And there was also an article that I read many years ago in this in the 70s, I read an article about a teacher that a strong percentage of her class in, in uh, the poverty area of New York were going to college. Wow. And they were doing a study, and what they found was there was a group of them that were from the same poverty area. And when they checked it all out, they had one thing in common. And guess what that was? Mm. A teacher. Wow. One teacher. who who saw the potential. Yes. And when they went back to that teacher many years later, this was an elementary school teacher. When they went back to that teacher and say, how did you manage to have all these people go Mm. to college? And she said, all I did was tell them you can do anything you want and you can find the way. Yeah. And you're worth it. So, yeah, she's just making little statements to these kids. But in the end, 
it helped them quite a bit. And I always say how you start is how you're going to end in school. That's why I'm advocating for a universal pre-K, because how you start out in school is whether it determines whether you're going to continue and stay on till the end. Wow. And this teacher in elementary school was encouraging her students. So um, I have a deep respect for teachers, and I know they have to deal with a lot. So, um, again, I'm strong in public education. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, Your story is incredible. You're running for governor, and a teacher inspired you, you know. And so to all of our listeners out there, um, those of you who are involved in the public education system or just the educational system in general, thank you for what you're doing. We know that school has just started. Um, We just want you to know that we support you, and we thank you for investing in our lives and in the lives of um, um, the kids coming up in this generation. So. That you could possibly inspire um, a, a child who will be the next governor of Texas. Mm-hmm. So thank you for all that you do. Now, you come from a, uh, a, a family of migrant farmers, correct? Correct. Um, tell us a little bit about your views on immigration. Well, you know, um, what part of this country has not been helped by immigration. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you're Native American, which, by the way, I just did mm. my DNA and found out that I am. Oh, wow. Well, Native American includes, you know, the Aztec Indians mm-hmm. and all of those. All of that. And, and it said um, my segment came from South Texas or North Mexico. So unless you're Native American, um, everyone has come in from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And in every time period, there has been some prejudice against the group. Remember the Irish? Mm-hmm. Remember the Germans? Remember, uh, there were several. Every group that came over at one time, there was prejudice against them. And yet they've continued to contribute to the United States. So, and in this area, I know they have a lot of uh, hard work that needs to be done. And um, uh, the the people that are coming now are helping in that area, and I and I am a strong believer in a process, and I understand we definitely need to check folks out so that they their purpose is not to come to do harm. I mean, the original mission of of ICE was to stop people doing harm to the who want to do harm to the United States, and we have to do that. But, uh, nobody says we're open borders. We have to do that. We need to make sure that nobody's coming in to do harm. At the same time, I believe in human dignity. And I, I believe that um, a lot of these folks do the backbreaking jobs of Texas that people will not do. Mm-hmm. Time and time again, I've seen projects where they have tried to hire uh, local folks to do the backbreaking jobs, and what happens is they end up losing their industry. Uh, so they have to rely on people that are going to do these jobs. And and on the other spectrum, there's the the uh, technical people that that somehow seem to have started on computers and technology and, and, and uh, science of technology way before a lot of us did. 
And so they're very comfortable with it. I can't. I was in a task force um, in uh, with Obama on immigration, and there was mayors and law enforcement and social workers and and uh, construction heads. And uh, one of the things that uh, I think it was Mayor Bloomberg who said, um, "Don't quote me on that because I'm not sure." Who said, "What's happening is we're training some of the best minds in the world." And then we're telling them you have to leave. And uh, it was a, it was the mayor of New York at the time. I can't remember who. Uh, and and he was very adamant about you're throwing the best talent out. We need not do that. So it's from both ends of the spectrum. Now, uh, and I understand some people are uncomfortable, um, but we need to find out why. Mm-hmm. Why are they uncomfortable? And and is there something that reality? Or, or is there something that then that needs to be done to look at that? Um, but I continue to say uh, we need. There's a certain visa that we provide to workers, and honestly, I can tell people: Do you really think they want to leave their country? All they want is to work for a while, and they would love to go back to their country mm-hmm. and provide for their family. So mm-hmm. we just need to increase the visa that allows you to come in seasonal and work. And then go back. Mm-hmm. I had one gentleman say to me, because I, I often ask him, and, and I want to find out. And he said, I would love to go back and visit my family, but I might not be able to come back. Right. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that presents a problem. And, and so if we provided seasonal ways, then they could go back to this family and come back to take care of the job. Mm-hmm. I really like that perspective. I've, I've, I haven't quite heard that perspective, and I really appreciate that point of view, um, because who who doesn't want to come to a land of opportunity? That's how I see it. Um, you know, the, you, you hear about the American dream, and you want to come here and prosper and support your family back home, or whatever's going on, you know, with where you work and things like that. So I think you're right. There, there's never really a chance to figure out a solution. It seems to just keep going on and on, and there's not a common it, ground mm-hmm. to talk about it. It's a big challenge, mm-hmm. and and uh, several of my statements have been, we're afraid to be criticized and be challenged. Yeah. You know, anything you do, somebody is going to object to it. Mm-hmm. So you've got to get in there, as I say, roll up your sleeves, get in there, and get the job done. Not everybody is going to uh, like every decision that you make. As a matter of fact, I used to joke when I was a sheriff of Dallas County, I had almost 3,000 employees, not quite, but I would say whatever decision I make, even if it's a raise, somebody's going to be upset about it. Mm -hmm. You didn't give us enough. It should have been more. You know, whatever. They want to go to to, uh, daytime, so you change them to daytime. It's, I'm in the wrong position. I wanted this, whatever it is. Whatever decision you make, somebody's going to object against it. So why don't you get in there and do the best you can mm-hmm. and just have them be upset? You know, <laughs> They're going to be upset regardless. Anyway, and I want to go back to immigration. I, I want to talk about the dreamers. The dreamers grew up here, were educated here, and they even start businesses and employ people mm-hmm. here or are employers of other people. They're doing no harm. And this is the only country they know. So why wouldn't we, um, if somebody's, they continue to contribute to the community, mm-hmm. so why wouldn't we um, accept them 
if all they're doing is contributing to to the community. But I didn't want to. I wanted to make sure and go back to that because mm-hmm. they're an important part of our community, and we need not villainize them mm-hmm. or degrade them. Right. Yeah. Well, that's, thank that's, you for sharing that. As we really, mm-hmm, yes. we really appreciate that and your perspective on it. Um, okay, so because you have a background in law enforcement, I'm assuming that you are a supporter of the Second Amendment. Is that correct? The Second Amendment, yes. Stupidity, no. Okay. Would you please expound on that? Um, Look, all our officers have to go to a mental test, through uh, an aggression test, and and they do a whole bunch of uh, mental aggression skills tests in order to carry a gun. And every year, you have to prove that you can still qualify. So, and I'm not saying we should do that for gun owners, but if if a person that's supposed to protect the community has to do that much, then a person who's allowed to carry a weapon should do some. Hmm. My statement has always been, anybody, anybody who cannot solve their dis- disagreements through other than violence should never have a gun. If there's an attitude of someone, you know, you can see when, when you're younger, the person who, who starts arguing and, and decides they're not going to win and they grab for something, you know, you know all that's going to do if they're not taken care of, all that's going to do is grow. Mm-hmm. So why would you give that person a gun? Mm-hmm. There are things we can do. I'm not anti-gun. I'm anti, like I said, anti-stupidity, anti-dumbness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that. <laughs> why would you? Why would you? And, and I understand this is Texas. We love our guns, mm-hmm. and and we go hunting, and, and and so we love our guns. And I know that, but we also need to put some common sense into it, and and common sense. And there's things we can do. What the governor is doing now is just smoke and mirrors. Mm-hmm. We're going to fortify our schools, but we won't invest in education. Mm-hmm. We're going to arm our teachers. But we won't pay them as professionals. Mm. All they're doing is smoke and mirrors. And shootings can happen in parks, in concerts, in churches, out in the public. In Dallas, the shooting came directly into the crowd from a building. You know, so, so by doing the, the task force of just the schools, uh, and, if, and if he's saying, well, we're, we need to protect our children, well, the children are going to, you know, there's only certain months of months, that amount of months that they're in school. So why don't we look at the real problem, which is gun violence? Mm. You know, we're, again, we're doing the smoke and mirrors, smoke and mirrors. Let's put all our attention over here so we don't have to solve the real issue. Um, so... If you don't mind me asking, what are some um, like practical solutions that you would put into place if you were about, elected governor? I, you know, I I don't want to you know just keep talking, and and I was about to go into some solutions that we do. Mm-hmm. First of all, is universal background checks. If you're if you were a bully in school, if you're fighting in bars, if you're domestic violence, then we need to not get, make. Make it possible for you to get a gun. There's things we can do. Like I said about an education, the way you start is the way you end. Oftentimes in behavior, it's the same thing. 
The way you grow up is the way you, you, you may continue. Though there is a strong possibility for change, that does show the past shows what the future is going to be. So we need to do universal background checks. And then we need to make sure that they're held accountable if they choose to lie on those. You know, there's got mm-hmm. to be uh, a, a, um, a reaction to that, a, a punishment. For, consequences uh, for consequences. dishonesty. Thank you. Mm-hmm. It's early in the morning. Uh, <laughs> there has to be consequences for that. So those are two of the things mm-hmm. we can do. And, of course, we need to close the boy, boyfriend loophole. Right now, in domestic violence, if you're the husband, then it makes a difference. But if you're a boyfriend, the law doesn't quite cover that. So we need to cover that, and we need to, to look at the private gun sales uh, that are going on. Mm-hmm. So there's things we can do, and we can start out by the ones that are going to be most effective, which is the universal background check. So there, there are things yeah. we can do be, be, that don't cost as much and that is not smoke and mirrors to the real problem. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. I just wanted to kind of shift gears a little bit here. Tell us more about your career as a sheriff and how that will play a role as a governor. Well, those are two different questions, but I'd love to tell you. Uh, I took over a department that was known 14, 15 years ago. They were known for being abusive. Um, as I heard from the other sheriffs, after I became sheriff, as I heard from the other sheriffs, they would say to me, um, our, our inmates would beg us not to send them to Dallas because they knew they were going to be abused and the conditions were awful. Um, and I took over that department and... and it was just that nobody was paying attention to detail. You cannot um, abuse somebody just because you arrested them. You cannot physically abuse people just because you arrested them. And so we started putting things in place that if you did that, then you would lose your job. Unfortunately, several people had to lose their job. Um, you know, there's always the test. Eh, she doesn't really mean it. You know, yes, I do mean it. Mm-hmm. If you start hurting people, you're going to lose your job. So um, we did that, and then we cleaned up the jail. I'm going to have to start carrying those pictures. Um, nobody paid attention to the jail, so it was mm-hmm. gross. 20 years of smoking. You're not allowed to smoke anymore, but it was still on the walls, okay. and the smell was still there. And and so we did a general, you know, top to bottom clean up and um even the employees feel better right the morale is raised and totally totally i had one person tell me and i don't even know who the employee was he said my friend so-and-so always hated his job and was depressed and now he actually looks forward to going to his job and getting you know because it's a job if you're if you're miserable in your job i would suggest you find another one but the conditions of the job can also help. First of all, they had dark, dark colors. Of course, we painted over those and and uh, and, and put a, a white vanilla color on it, so it brightens up the whole area. I mean, if you, there's no windows anywhere and everything is dark, you have constantly have to have those highlights. So we did a lot of little things that totally changed um, the department. My first, do no harm. 
Second, improve the conditions. And third, improve the outcome. By improving the outcome, we started looking at the people who came to jail. I had the seventh largest jail in the United States. Wow. It was it was six, seven, eight thousand every night. So uh, we started looking at how we could stop people from coming back, and amazingly enough, it was jobs and healthcare. Mm-hmm. The two things that I'm still pushing for. By the way, we haven't even discussed jobs, but that's the third area that I'm really pushing for. So, and public education helps you get better jobs. But we started uh, doing skill, uh, for instance, commercial printing. Um, so, and we, and we partnered with the local community college so that when the person finished the course, they had a certificate of actually being to work in those areas. And those printing machines are huge mm-hmm. machines, the commercial ones. So a person can go out to a printing company, office depot or whatever, and say, I am certified in this, this, and this. Now, um, that's the possibility that opens doors. We also had welding, and we had machinists. And uh, a good story there is when when we were talking about short-term learning skills, that people could go out and get a job, we talked about machinists. And so we started a few classes, and then I came in and I said, why aren't there any women in here? And it was like, oh, we never <laughs> thought of it. We never thought mm-hmm. about it. Of course, there has to be different preparations. They, they, in, while you're incarcerated, you can't have joint classes. Right. So we had to have, make a total different preparation, but we started teaching women machinists. Mm-hmm. So therefore... Uh, I found in the women who were incarcerated, a large percentage, I think it was up to 90%, were there because they followed a man. And and when I started talking, uh, it's the insecurity, it's I can't provide for myself, they're going to take care of me. So, of course, I'm going to do everything they say. And then when we gave them uh, classes on self-confidence and gave them a job skill, it's a totally different picture. And I would talk to everyone, to the majority of them. I'm sure I missed one or two. And I would say, I don't want to see you here again. You've got a skill. You can get a job. Don't come back. And they would all say, ma'am, I'm never coming back. I, I, I now. And, and so we know that there was a lot of success. And often when somebody told me about so-and-so, you know, I, I'm, I'm, and, and some of my uh, People who, who promotion would say, why didn't you get their name? I don't care about their name. I'm glad that they're successful. I'm glad that they now changed their life. Anyway, a little bit about sheriff's t- tenure. And, of course, we improved several things on the outside. Um, I'm real thankful that we spend a lot of time in community entrustment, going to the communities when you're not going to do a law enforcement um, task. Go to the go to the groundbreakings. Go to the ribbon cutting. Go to several things, especially in the uh, poverty areas, so people can see you as a human being mm-hmm. before you come and do a law enforcement task, so that they will know from seeing you often that you're a human being and you mm-hmm. care. Right. But you have to have law and order. Mm-hmm. So 
And then what was your second question? How does that, how does that um, uh, help me to, to be in the governor? Um, as I mentioned, I had uh, 2,700 employees and a budget over $150 million. Those are tasks that you have to get involved in. Mm-hmm. And so it, it gives you the whole process for even taking a greater load. Right. You've got the process down. So you just go on and take a greater load. Um, You've had your fair share of challenges throughout your career. And I'm not done yet. <laughs> yes. I'm not done yet. This is one of the biggest challenges. I'm running for governor, of course, is one of the biggest challenges. But please, when didn't I have a challenge? Right. You know, so it's challenge after challenge after challenge. My partner wants me to stop doing this. And, and when you sit down and, and think about this, is I can't. There's so much mm-hmm. need. I had I stepped down as the sheriff, and in Dallas, that's a six-figure income because of the of the responsibility you have. Two point five million people and twenty seven hundred employees and seven thousand inmates. So the responsibility is tremendous there. But I stepped down from a a good job that was now in work operationally working well. Because I couldn't stand what was going on in the state. We're ignoring the everyday Texans' need, public education, health care. And we continue to do smoke and mirrors so that we don't face the challenges. These are humongous challenges. And anybody who takes them on is going to get attacked from both sides. Right. So nobody wants to do that because they might not get reelected. Let's get the job done. Let's get in there and get the job done and start the process to correcting all of these. But no, we want to do the smoke and mirrors and just show me your papers law, bathroom law, what else, Jade Helm. You know, sometimes I call it the Wizard of Oz. Don't look at the man behind the curtain, you know, Mm -hmm. pulling all the smoke and mirrors. But we need to get down to the actual challenges of Texas. And, and let the everyday Texan once again enjoy a decent quality of life. We're proud of Texas. We love Texas. Right. Mm-hmm. No, we want to live in Texas. Mm-hmm. But we have to have a living wage, a family sick leave, equality, equal pay for women. We need to do all of this. Um, and, and, uh, and that will help the whole of Texas. What does an employer want? An educated and healthy employee. Mm -hmm. And the third one would be a skilled, educated, healthy employee. So what are we advocating for? Education and health care and making sure that our people, our students of today, or our future, we have to be able to compete in a global economy. Midland isn't the ranch anymore. Right. You know, computers have taken us mm-hmm. into global competition, and our students need to be able to compete in a global economy. So we need to start facing the real challenges and get in there and start um, making it possible for the future of Texas. Uh, now, Sheriff, we have about five minutes. Um, let me I ask you. A lot, don't I? <laughs> let me ask you a question. Then we'll get into a few fun questions. Um, if you were to be elected tomorrow, what is one of the first issues that you would address? What are you most passionate about? 
My goodness. This, I'll have to go. Well, public education, as uh, I already knows. But the other one would be uh, the Senate Bill 4. Um, I honestly thought that was one of the most hateful bills that has ever. And even um, the national media said the same thing. Mm-hmm. That was one of the most hateful bills and a racist bill that was ever passed. It was pushed as a bill for safety and security into the community. And instead, it brought fear into the community. Mm-hmm. Houston actually has stats where people will not uh, report their crime anymore. They become victims who will not speak because they're afraid. And so instead of doing safety and security, we've done the opposite. We've made it possible for perpetrators to go in a certain area and commit more harm. And then you come around saying, look at the stats. There's more of the harm there. Of course there is. You're not protecting them. Mm-hmm. And they're not willing to, to come out and talk about that guy down there is the thief. That guy down there is the, is, is the guy who broke into because they're afraid. So uh, instead of helping, I think that bill really hurt. And one of the things I'm going to do is fight to get rid of that. Thank you for that, Lupe. Um, One thing that we like to ask at the end of the show, what's something interesting that not a lot of people know about you? What are some of your hobbies and or talents? Uh, What do you enjoy doing when you're not on the campaign trail? I like fixing things. You like fixing (laughs) things? Yeah. Which is funny because I go into work into jobs where you fix things. Mm -hmm. Uh, My partner actually made me throw away a lot of stuff because she says, you're never going to fix this. (laughs) So just throw an old lamp that just needs rewiring, you know, and and this or the other says, no, that is going to the trash because you're never going to have the time to do it. And, and of course, now that's true. Uh, We're we're at, and when I become governor, there's going to be a lot to do, so I'm not going to have time to fix all right. this. So you have I'm, a big issue. <laughs> yeah. So unfortunately, that's all going to the trash or for somebody else to fix. Right. <laughs> Someone else. Um, okay, so I have another question for okay. you. This morning, um, I was eating a Jolly Rancher, and I had the green apple kind. It was really good. And we were wondering what kind of Jolly Rancher you would choose. You know, I, we boy, have them right there. So I, hate, I hate to disappoint you, but I don't do sweets. No <laughs> sweets at all. No. Oh, my no, goodness. I, I'm a little past. Uh, I, I'm, I'm in my early 70s. So I, they joke about your metabolism slowing down. <laughs> mm-hmm. I said mine died. So, so I had to, I used to do a lot of sweets. I had to, um, step back on sweets. Did you ever eat Jolly Ranchers? She looks, she's, she's scowling at them in case y'all are wondering. I I, I don't know. (laughs) I I probably, I probably did, but I think I I would go for probably the green because it does it because it's more real color. You know, it's not dye colors. Look at me. I'm so, I'm so, but I am. I'm I'm real self-conscious of what I put in my body. Good. That's important. And um, do you know anyone with a disability or a visual impairment? We all know people with disabilities. You've met quite a few. I bet in your we careers, all know yeah. somebody with disabilities, and once again we go back to health care. Right. If we had accepted the one point five million dollars of medic of the Medicare expansion, 
a lot more of the most vulnerable would be helped. But instead, we refuse to accept most of our own money because it came from, I don't know, I don't know why they refuse to accept it. Mm-hmm. But if we accepted the Medicaid expansion, uh, 1.5 million people, additional million people would be on health care. Right. And a lot of those are the most vulnerable. Thank you very much, Sheriff Valdez. Uh, that will conclude this episode of Free Speech. Remember to get out and vote. Early voting starts October 22nd, and you have till November 6th of 2018 to vote. And please go to www.recordinglibrary.org to hear our podcast every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Again, thank you, Sheriff Valdez, for joining us today. And thank you, Abby. And thank you, listener, for supporting the Recording Library of West Texas. This program was a production of the Recording Library of West Texas and is also available at recordinglibrary.org.